Hi and welcome along to this week's episode of the Left on Red podcast. In this week's instalment we'll be discussing our experience of Burnley, a fighting performance by Arsenal and much, much more. Right, so this week both me and Harry were in attendance of uh, possibly the worst away game of the season. Yeah. I'd say it's that it's as I wrote in my article, the new Stoke. No one wants it to really go to is. Burnley. It's a really, really difficult trip. It's a really difficult ground to visit and team to play against. It wasn't. It wasn't pleasant. Let's put it that way. Well, we started started the day seven a.m. at Highbury Islington Station. Yeah. Yeah. Miraculously. I don't well, know we how we've both been out the night before as well, so I don't know how we rose up. Yeah. I, that that was the sort of. The main achievement of the day, I think. It was massive for both of us, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. And then made it to Hitchin, decided not to. If anyone doesn't know where Hitchin is, it's about 15 minutes from Stevenage. Yeah. Um, decided not to buy tickets from Finsbury Park because there was nowhere to buy tickets from. We also, at 7 a.m. in the morning, didn't really contemplate the idea of having to purchase tickets for a train, as in the London boys. Yeah. Sort of. And that, that didn't, didn't go. Normal. It didn't go well for us, did it? No, not at Hitchin. It didn't. They no. looked at us as if we were some sort of yeah. Got a fine there. Yeah. Um, but made it there. Then uh, Lathy came and picked us up, and we uh, we embarked on our journey to Burnley. It's quite quite a long drive, isn't it? It's a very very long drive, but it didn't feel that long. We were just <laughs> non-stop talking about the Arsenal. Yeah. No, I'd say, I'd say about an hour before we got into Burnley, then we all realised that oh, we need to win today. But. At one o'clock, so it was a three pm kickoff. I just started like shaking the back of low seat in the car. I was, the nerves started kicking in, and it was not, it wasn't enjoyable. Yeah, we got there. We got to the, um, got to the cricket ground just behind, uh, just behind the away section at Turf Moor. That was actually quite nice. I'd nice say that's weather. probably the nicest place that I saw in Burnley. Yeah, probably nice in the ground itself. Yeah, drove right through the town centre. Not much going on there. No, it was. It gave off desolate vibes. Yeah, it was very, very dull. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cricket club was decent. It was nice, you know, you could get a beer, get get some chips. Yeah, although the queue was about half an hour, so yeah. we sacked that off. We did sack that off. We did get chips, though. We did get chips, and the the, uh, the girl at the chip shop couldn't figure out that the change from... The chips cost £5. We gave her a tenner, and the girl at the chip shop took a good five minutes to figure out that, that the change was then a fiver. Yeah. Which get which gives you all you need to know about Burnley. Before we just sort of slate off Burnley entirely yeah. in this episode, because there's some really serious topics to discuss in terms of racism and booing the that we'll get into in a bit. Let's just put it out there that not everyone from Burnley is awful and no, racist. No. We are and having a little bit of a joke. So if you are from Burnley listening to this, we don't hate you. Which is just, which is unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> it is unlikely it is for unlikely. an Arsenal following podcast. Yeah, well, yeah, there might be some nice places in Burnley that we haven't seen. The 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 bit like we sort of the backdrop through. of sort of the hills, but I wouldn't yeah. know if that was Burnley or not. Yeah, yeah, and you know the cricket club was nice. The cricket club was lovely. It was a nice little. It was nice grass. There were some nice seats. It was nice weather. The sun was out as well. It was perfectly fine. Yeah. Given the um, given the queue for. The beer at the cricket club. We decided that it'd be a good idea to get into the game, sort of an hour early. Turns out it was not a good idea. No, absolutely not a good idea. Walked in, 
walked in through the turnstile perfectly fine and then went to this uh, what would you say it's little like marquee tent. yeah marquee pavilion. Tent pavilion yeah went in there we me and harry just wanted a bottle of water nothing else well at the cricket club i was wanting a beer just because it was so nice and sunny to relax mm. but as the game gets sooner i sort of wanted to focus on it and it was really then beaten down with heat and yeah. i just wanted a bottle of water so we've sort of joined not that long of a queue, to be honest. No, not that long of a queue. You'd sort of, it, you'd expect it to take maybe five minutes. That that sort of a queue took about half an hour. There were three servers at the front who, like, fair enough, they couldn't give the fans cans, which, I mean, given what happened at the end of the game, was probably quite a good idea. Absolutely. But the um, the servers were insisting on pouring the uh, the pints themselves, which they didn't seem... With a really awful technique. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was didn't a... tilt the glass at all to get it onto a side. There were some very upsetting pints. Pour them upside down. Yeah. And just and sort of let them be. Yeah, left the can. And, and uh, yeah, there were there were a few people getting a bit leery in the uh, in the line. Not happening there, there the was, there was a few um, comments which perhaps crossed the line, but <laughs> yeah. when, when you're working at a football ground... Yeah, you pre-match, you sort of you need you a have to be a bit speed. more on on job. Yeah. Um, well, so we got we got a bottle of water. That was all right. Got into the ground, saw a little bit of the warm up. Did we? Actually, before we saw the warm up, there was a sort of a, a crowd of, Ar- of Arsenal fans going absolutely mental, which was nice to see. Just throwing each other around, singing 49, 49 undefeated. Yeah, that was like it was a lovely little start to the afternoon. Yeah. And we got into our seats, that was fine. Um, and it sort of started to pack up and the atmosphere was unbelievable, wasn't it? The away end was brilliant. It was booming. It was the best I've seen this year, obviously. I've, we've, I've now only been to three away games or whatever, but it was amazing. I was saying to Harry on the way on the way up here that, that I ha- I've had for the last two nights like this mad like tinnitus in my ear, sort of like ringing, and I reckon that's probably... Because of how loud it was. In the I air. mean, it's just so condensed and everyone's so packed together. It makes an absolute racket. Yeah. And it gets you so excited. And it fit, it really communicates a unity between the fans and the players mm. on the match day that you just don't really experience at a home game unless it's a European night or a I'm massive derby day. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's just really loud. And you could see sort of... Uh, in terms of the players, that they were actually buoyed by the support. It was the first time that I'd really seen them being so appreciative of it. I remember, like, Ramsdale just sort of couldn't believe that we were all there He's chanting his name for 20 minutes. Yeah, he was fantastic. He really leads the connection, I think. Being the closest player to the crowds, he really leads that connection between yeah, the team exactly. and fans. Because yeah. when the fans chant his name, and boy did they chant his name during the match... He turns around and he really, really gives a fist bump into yeah, the air yeah, and gets us going over again. Properly getting it going. And I was, there, I was actually, I was talking to you about this on the way on the way to Burnley, saying I wanted to do like a time lapse of the ground filling up. And we got in, I'd say we got in with about half an hour to go. And, um, and I was thinking of starting the time lapse and the ground just didn't fill up. No. It was just like, it was pretty empty. There were gaping holes in their crowd. It yeah. was pretty embarrassing, really. The atmosphere was not, on their part, was no good. The, next to nothing, the loudest it got was a penalty shout, and that was it. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I, I, I read in your article, which I thought was quite funny, that if you can't turn up on a Saturday for Arsenal at home, if you're from Burnley, 
it really, really speaks volumes about the style of play and the enjoyment yeah, factor yeah. you get from watching your home team. You've got to think about it, don't you? It, I mean, it's sad. Who, I, like, I, I, could, I could barely watch it for 90 minutes, but let alone a whole season, just no. lumping it no. forward to a Chris Wood... Sometimes quite unfair, just sort of <laughs> running about the place, galloping all over the yeah, pitch. Like, yeah, like where is the enjoyment in that? There Their season tickets any. must cost like a fiver or something. It's the would, only explanation. <laughs> the only explanation for any attendance whatsoever. Absolutely. Right. So now we're going to move on to something slightly less humorous, which was the vile racial abuse that Burnley gave their new player Max Cornet and also the booing of the knee well, I mean the boo- we were talking about this on the way up I mean it's so sort of annoyingly predictable so predictable yeah and you just think like I mean it, when their captains come out and spoken about it and then before the game they were showing a bit on racism on their screen and then you just think I mean like after everything that's been explained to you you're going to boo the knee I mean, and and all it's of so them, exactly, and all of them will try and try and claim that it's not racist, and then it's against the sort of political be- movement that it is. But it's been explained to them it's that it's not political. Really, really clear. It's just simply that Black Lives it's Matter. It's not a political movement at all. It's just a movement to promote equality in society. It's as simple as that. And if you can't get behind it. Exactly. You really need to go back to school and get some more education. And I mean, if if booing the knee wasn't example enough of just outright racism, then booing their new signing when he came on. Instead of welcoming your new signing, I mean, to be fair, some of the crowd were clapping him. But then just when he comes on, the sort of boos from certain corners of the ground. There were murmurs from corners of the ground. And you just like, oh, I just, I just don't understand it. When you, when you sign a new player, you should all be getting behind the player regardless of where they're from, who they are, what they represent. You should be getting excited by the prospect of them enhancing and making your team better and more, especially when you're Burnley and you have nothing exciting going exactly. for you. Exactly, you've signed quite a flair, like a flair winger from Leon, And, yeah. and you're, gonna, you're gonna boo him when he comes on. It's, it's disgusting. Just... On a more joyous note, the Arsenal fans were in full volume, as we've already discussed throughout the game really I mean sort of from the from the kickoff to when Odegaard put that free kick in which we had a lovely view of didn't we we did and oh my gosh was it, was it a beautiful free kick we sort of we both knew in his body position and when he took three steps back that he was going to bend it and I made a movement with my finger that really was reminiscent of the game score hero well, oh, you yeah. just flick a ball over a wall and it, yeah. and it just bends into the top yeah. corner. And then you could see it was beautiful. You could see as soon as it left his foot. I mean, as soon as he kicked the ball, it just we all went nuts. I almost yeah. didn't bother like focusing whether it was going to hit the back of the net exactly. or not because you got this sense of magic that it was mm. going to nestle in the back of the net, and everyone just went mental straight away. Yeah, and it's one of those goals that I just love, where you just got everyone hugging everyone in the crowd. It, it was mental. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter whether you know them or not. You're yeah, necessarily speaking for, for the last half an hour to them, but as soon as the ball hits the net, bang, you're all over exactly. them in a bundle. It's brilliant. And then the next, I mean, the next sixty minutes were. Just they were a fight. I mean, I thought maybe we might have gone and kicked on and sort of tried to batter them. It didn't work out that way, which it rarely does at Burnley. But I mean, the crowd really fought, and so did the players. Every single block and every header was 
uh, responded with yeah, and it was cheer yeah. or a chant. And and even, a brilliant chant throughout the match. Exactly. The Sakharin Smith row one, a personal favourite. I mean, when I got back at sort of 1am, I went to bed listening to it on repeat to fall asleep. It just made my day. It's beautiful. It's so nice to hear the Arsenal fans come up with a chant that's a bit unique. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's an actual, you know, it's a song. It's not just Arsenal, Arsenal. Yeah. It's lovely. All right. Well, shall we dive into your tactical segment for the day? Let's do it. So Mikel changed it this week tactically. Really interesting. So I think we got a glimpse of it at the end of the Norwich match when Partey and Smith Rowe came on the 4-3-3 with two number eights or number tens, whatever you want to call them. There's one anchor in midfield and two that played to the left and right and slightly higher. So we saw that from the get-go in this match. I was quite surprised to see Smith Rowe and Odegaard on their natural sides of the pitch in relation to what foot they are, hmm. which may have been a defensive move. I'm not too sure. It was interesting. I really, really liked it. It was quite nervy from the beginning before the match. As I was wondering, against Burnley, even though I was quite happy that he decided to finally make a change to the formation that a lot of fans sort of expected when he moved to Arsenal from Manchester City. Maybe Burnley wasn't the right team to do it against. No, it, it, it was bold. But, you know, I think, I think you, know, you know you're going to have most of the ball against Burnley. You do. And you know you're probably going to be in control of the game for, for large periods of it. So it's actually... I, I think it's actually quite a good game to sort of try it out at because, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have Smithrow and Odegaard both dropping in and picking it up off the centre backs and off Partey. Indeed. I was a bit nervous, as I was saying to you before the game, because I think we played Partey in that lone role um at home to Villarreal in the Europa League last yeah. year. And we just sort of left him as a sitting duck and it really didn't work. But I think Burnley is a they, they've not got the they same... They lack the amount of quality that Villarreal has. Exactly. They've yeah. not got any sort of attacking presence other than just sort of knocking it down. So I think... Well, I thought it really helped us build out through the first and second and third. I thought in the first half we were really impressive. However, the primary reason of changing to this formation was to inject a bit more creativity and then product in the final third. And that didn't happen, whether that was in the first half when we were in control of the match or the second half when we were playing on the counter and defending for our lives. So that's something we'll discuss later, but something that really needs improving. One thing that I was reflecting on after the match in relation to Smith-Rowe and Odegaard playing on their natural sides, maybe, I may be completely wrong, but I was thinking maybe Mikel was trying to move around Burnley's really rigid banks of four. So when Burnley play a 4-4-2, the distances between the lines of their back four and their middle four are perfect. Mm. I noticed they're really small and it's really hard to pick up gaps for creative players in between exactly, in order to yeah. create something. So we saw throughout the match, actually, Saka, who was playing on the left, left wing, and Emile Smith-Rowe, who was playing the inside right number eight position, very frequently swap, and Smith-Rowe mm-hmm. playing left wing, and Saka players are right number eight, which may have been to pose the question to the Burnley midfielders or fullbacks and wide midfielders, am I going to follow my man? Or am I going to leave him and hopefully open up areas of the pitch yeah. where our ball carriers and creative players can take advantage of a rearranged Burnley unit? Yeah, and I think I think it might actually have been sort of a tactical switch during the game rather than a, pl- a plan previously because Perhaps, there yeah. were there were, I, I remember there being quite a few sort of frustrated grunts from the away end when 
I mean, Partey, uh, Partey, Gabriel and White sort of quite often picked the ball up and really had no one to play it to in terms of them dropping and they, it. they look very lacklustre and, and, and slow in their mm. decision-making to break lines and play out from the back as yeah. well. And I, I think especially White, who was, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily the £50 million ball-playing centre-half that we signed him no, as. No, he wasn't. He was more impressive in his aerial abilities in that mm. match, which is not what we signed him for than his ball-playing mm. abilities. But, I mean, it's certainly welcome. I, I, there were quite a few times where the ball was pinged long to wood, as it always is. Yeah. Uh, but he'd get in front of his man. His and... anticipation was good, yeah. yeah. Just going back to sort of the fluidity and rotation within the team in this 4-3-3, Saka also didn't just swap into midfield with Smith Rowe. He also swapped a bit with Aubameyang and played as a striker, a full sign, whatever yeah, we you call were... it. And Aubameyang was then playing on the left in that sort of channel that he loves to run in behind mm. into. Again, probably the same the same thought process, which was to open up a very rigid Burnley team in order to allow for us to make our patterns of play. Exactly. And I think, you know, as as much as that final ball wasn't there, there was definitely some some really good football in the lead up to the final third. I think there were I, I agree massively, yeah. Quite a few good triangles between um, Smith-Rowe, Pepe and Partey on the right-hand yes. side and also Odegaard sort of shifting into Partey's position on the left-hand side yeah. and playing nice football with uh, yeah. Tierney and Saka. Absolutely, there. yeah. So I th- it, it wasn't all bad. That that final ball didn't necessarily click as we'd hoped it to. Though. I actually think it's been Arteta's biggest issue regardless of the formation that he's played mm. last season was that in a lot of matches, we were the better team in the, in, in the first two thirds, and in the final third, we were just so dire. Yeah, there there wasn't sort of there wasn't that final ball, there wasn't that killer instinct of a pass, and I think probably Odegaard will bring that eventually. And he has been, doing and that, yes. and he showed he showed that a couple of times. But I mean, I don't think Saka's really sort of settled into where Arteta wants him to play this season. Um, he's a lot better out on the right. He's been asked to play slightly more. Um, he's been asked to get ball, the ball in tighter areas a lot this year, rather than get it out wide and run and be direct yeah. and efficient. And which, I think that that's been that's been Pepe's job this season, and he's been yes. a lot more direct than we've seen him. But his final ball as well has been not that great. Inconsistent, yeah. yeah. And I think Abamyang. I mean, my problem uh, with Abamyang has always been that his sort of interplay is not at the standard uh, his first touch and his passing is below average it's it's really not good enough especially when you compare it to Lacazette who yeah. whose first touch and interplay with yeah. midfielders from deep and wingers in behind and quite often the way really they good. pass there, yeah. were, there were a few times where I thought Aubameyang just could have played uh, I think it was either Pepe or Saka. There was, there was there was a lot in the second half because we were defending so deep. We were really under the cosh and therefore we tried to play on the counter. And Aubameyang, obviously his movement in beyond the final shoulder of a back four is outstanding. And he kept on getting the ball in these really good positions. And the end product or the weight of the final pass, as you mentioned, was just not good enough. And there was one moment in the match where... It was a really simple five-yard pass. You've got to put a soft weight on it for Pepe, just off the right of him, to wrap it with his left foot. And he just fizzes it too hard, and it sends Pepe to the the line. And in the end, Pepe ended up winning us a corner. But it's the small details like that that go a long way. With a number nine like Lacazette, who can bring other players into play, 
perhaps that would solve some of the end product final pass creativity yeah. issues that we saw in that match in the final third. And I think, well, in, t in terms of the system that Arteta played, um, I think we, we were both sort of pretty confident that around the sort of 60-minute mark, there would be a switch to the double pivot um, that he's played so often this season. And I think, you know, as, as much as changing the system going into the game is interesting, you sort of, you always knew that that was coming and that there was that sort of safety net for Arteta if things, if things started to, to go a bit pear-shaped, which they did in the second half. I mean, there were there was too big of a gap between our defence and our midfield. Well, which... if I could just touch on, this was apparent throughout the whole match, but it really got exposed. Maybe Sean Dyche mentioned it at half-time. So with Burnley's 4-4-2, they left the right midfielders, would very much drift inside into gaps left behind Smith-Rowe, and Odegaard that would not necessarily be so apparent with a double pivot usually. I thought Odegaard trapped back a lot better than Smith Rowe did actually. Yeah. So it was quite often Dwight McNeil who was playing on the left of, of a midfield four in the first half who drifted inside. That was causing us issues. So I think the move to a double pivot was meant was meant to to heal that. Yeah, and I think when that double pivot came into play at sort of around the sixty first, sixty second minute mark yeah. as we predicted. Um, I thought I actually said this to Harry during the game I thought um, that both Lukonga and Partey were a lot too high when Burnley were playing their long balls there was a, diagonals over the top yeah and there was a big gap between those two and the back four which meant that if Chris Wood or Vidra who'd come on won a header there was space for them to then knock it back for McNeil or Brownhill to pick it exactly, up. Exactly, yeah. Which is what caused us a lot of problems, actually, and, and we ended up conceding quite a few set pieces. It caused us a lot of problems because it got us overloaded and then it also led to them playing it back out wide for crosses, yeah. etc., which led to a lot of set pieces, which Ramsdale dealt with like a beast. Oh, we finally he? got the keeper that commands his box. Every time. And he commands his defenders. He's so vocal and you can see that. Yeah. Um, which is just so nice to see and something I haven't seen from an Arsenal goalkeeper for a long, long time. He was really, really impressive. And just before we touch on Ramsdale's performance, go back to the point about the double pivot being too high. Maybe that correlates to the fact that Mikel told us after the match that Partey had cramp, he's obviously returning from an injury. Yeah. I actually thought when Ainsley came on and joined the double pivot with Sambi, yeah, I thought that the, the distances were slightly better. Um, there were five minute periods here and there where we did have the ball and became slightly more balanced. Yeah, my my dad was saying actually he he um he was sort of following the rest of the game on the uh, on the Paddy Power app, which sort of tells Brilliant. you tells you who's got the ball and who's making the passes. Yeah. And he was say, he he was texting me saying um, Lukonga must have had the ball for about fifteen minutes with Make the Niles, and there was actually sort of some real really clever periods from both Lukonga and Make the Niles where they just sort of played the ball in between each other. Absolutely, they just tried to, to take the buzz out of the game, yeah. and kill any momentum Burnley had. So I thought that was a really good substitution from Arteta, actually. Yeah, as much as it may have been forced by injury, it ended up being quite. It was a very beneficial. clever one. One thing I wanted to point out, which was really apparent back in the first half, was that, so when Burnley play 4-4-2, one tactic they, they like to use is one striker peel off into a channel, which then allows for a lot of rotation inside the box to put crosses in. Yeah. And whenever that happened, whether it was Ashley Barnes or Chris Wood, 
or whether it was Gabriel or Ben White they were playing 1v1 against, whenever they peeled one of our centre-halves into an outside channel, Thomas Partey was always there to yeah. fill in the gap and he made so many clearances as a result of that tactical sort of yeah. awareness for himself. It was really, really crucial part of the first half, I thought. Yeah, and I think I, I was saying to Harry as well, just even during the first half, we're so much calmer as a team with Partey and Gabriel in there. They're both clearly sort of quite calming presences, but also I think they're both really smart footballers and they know where they should be and quite often you know if players have momentary lapses like some of ours like to do those two are the ones they're picking up the pieces which is really really beneficial absolutely they're both outstanding before we move on to player ratings where we will briefly discuss performances of each individual yeah. player i think we need to in my opinion give our man of the match aaron ramsdale his own little two minute Oh, I love that man. Not just, not only is he just a fan- praise him, he put he put all yeah. on him though. I mean, not only is this guy a fantastic goalkeeper who was abused by some of our fan base when we signed him for absolutely no reason. He's come into the team. He hasn't conceded a goal. He commands his box. He was leaping over Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes from corners to claim the crosses. So sort of marauds the crowd. Yeah. Gets everybody on their feet. And after the game, he was the last man off the pitch, all chanting his name. And he, he, he just seems like he really is living the dream. There was a really, really nice embrace between him and Ainsley McManus at the end. Yeah. They gave each other a high five and then a massive hug. And you just thought, yeah, the spirit's starting to rebuild. That's what I think. I mean, I think that as much as this starting eleven, it may not be good enough to, to get us into Europe or, or wherever we want to be but you can really see that for the first time in a while those 11 players really care and really want to play Absolutely. for Arsenal which is a huge huge factor in sort of uh, how the fans feel and oh, I don't know just it, it, it's positivity energy yeah, around the, the ground the atmosphere is, is a whole lot better when the fans can see 100% transmits to the team yeah exactly and has an effect on performance yeah no and I think I think the the away section shout out to everyone that was there 10 out of 10 yeah unbelievable day I think I don't think the players would have won that game without that I was just I was just no. sort of thinking so when they were in a bad spell of the game and Burnley were piling all the pressure with the long balls and physically bullying us etc the crowd were non-stop chanting yeah. just sort of dragging the team away from all the pressure that's what it felt like yeah. to me at least when, when I was you, in the crowd and you just you just imagine what that game would have been like behind closed doors and I just think if we'd have got ourselves into that position with no fans there it would have been a very different outcome to the game now moving on to the fun part of the episode starting with player ratings all of it's fun Harry Come all, all of it is joyful but when we really get to this part, it's all yeah. fun and games. Yeah. It's a bit more serious at the beginning. Still fun. Yeah. But we yeah, move yeah. on to the good stuff now. All right. Right, so player ratings. Starting with my man of the match, Aaron Ramsdale. I'm giving him a 10. That is, that is, that is positive from you. There was nothing in that game that I thought he did wrong. I mean, even... There, that... was, there was one blunder where he almost... Yes, yes. He almost got caught out, so I give him a 9.5. Okay, but I think... But everything else was crystal, wasn't it? The the hospital pass from Ben White, it ended up being a fantastic challenge. Which, might I say, that yeah. I called 
He straight did. away. He I said knew it straight that he away. He said the ball's moved in a weird way. He's got the ball. <laughs> There's no it. pen. And me being the Allies. classic pessimistic Hornby Arsenal fan that yeah. I am, yeah. I said, no, Not didn't chance. get the ball. <laughs> Definite pen. Anyway. <laughs> so what you stay with, stick I'm with sticking with my turn. Fair enough. I, I, I back that. Do you know what? He was the catalyst for our defensive resilient performance. Right, moving on to our new right-back who's already a fan's favourite and has a song for himself, Tomiyasu. Ten. Ten? I, I, it, I'm not going to give everyone I, a ten. I think you've jumped the gun a little bit there, mate. <sighs> but he was so good. He didn't lose an aerial battle. He didn't lose a ground battle. He made seven tackles. He's just... Oh, I love him. He was brilliant, though. I'd agree. He was brilliant. I wouldn't give him a ten. I'd give him maybe an 8.5. Okay. I think... You know, in possession he was safe, but he doesn't get forward too much, right. which may be an instruction, and I suppose with future matches we'll get to see. But I don't think he was up there with the likes of Ramsdale and Gabriel. Okay. But you're sticking with your ten. I might lower it to a nine. That's fair enough, yeah. Right, moving on to Ben White. Lots to talk about with him, actually. I'd give him a seven. A seven. I think that's generous. I thought that... I thought that he was poor on the ball. Which is what we signed before primarily. Exactly, yeah. I, I thought he looked like he had too many mistakes in him. There was a sense of nerve around him, wasn't yeah. there? But then I also think he did really well against a really tough strike pairing and also sort of won the ball um, quite a few times. Well, we touched on his anticipation, getting just in front of Chris Wood yeah. or Vidra in the second half and nicking balls. Yeah. He also made a lot of blocks... And headers that yeah, yeah. went unnoticed, I thought, by many of the Arsenal fans who cheered a lot more for Gabriel whenever he made a massive yeah. header or clearance. Ben White actually made the most clearances oh, really? in the game. Yeah, he made six headers, wow. which was more than Gabriel. But there was that sense of mistake or nerve in him which ended up happening, which mm. Ramsdale got him out of trouble with. So I thought a mixed performance. Right, Gabriel, who's outstanding in the match. Give him a nine. I, I thought agree. I thought Gabriel was fantastic. I mean, he just sort of, he fills you with confidence. He's one of those centre-halves that's just, he's really big, he's got a presence, he, he can win the ball in the air, but he's also really, he's actually quite good on the ball. He's improved on the ball. I remember yeah. at the end of the last season, he was doing all these long, yeah, straight diagonals the without the play. Yeah. This season, he's been much more yeah. clever with his passing. Right, left back, Kieran Tierney. I'd give him a seven. Um, not much going forward. He wasn't given that much room, um, but no problems with him defensively, so a seven. I'd maybe lower it to a six. I thought he was pretty average. Yeah. I thought on the ball he lumped it rather than keeping yeah, his yeah. composure at points, but defensively fine. Yeah. Right, moving on to who Mikel described as our anchor, Thomas Partey. I'd give him an eight. I'd agree. I thought Partey was fantastic. I think that there are moments where he can just cut out half of the team with without even touching the ball. He just spins on the ball, and I think he, he makes us much more... C- calm as an outfit absolutely 100% agree hit the nail on the head there right moving on to Emil Smith-Rowe I'd give him a 6 again there were sort of there were glimpses of brilliant first touches and being able to drive with the ball but again as most of the forwards uh, his final ball 
deserted him throughout and that game. And his finishing. Yeah, and his finishing. He yeah, had there was one or two chances. There was one on his left foot inside the box where he's essentially just passed it to the keeper. Yeah, it was quite tame. He needs to work on his finishing a bit because his movement's excellent, his mm. creativity is excellent. So if he adds that to his game, it will really take him up a level, in my opinion. Right, and his counterpart in midfield, Martin Odegaard. Give him an eight. I'd agree. I thought I thought Odegaard again was really really good. He's his first touch is fantastic. Class, isn't it? That free kick was brilliant. Just a moment of magic that is quite often necessary in those sort of games. And I think with Odegaard, he really takes responsibility on the ball. He yeah. really tries and links to link play up and create movement with his pinpoint passing yeah. and his through balls. So I'd agree. An eight. I thought he was really good. Bakayo Saka, our star boy. I'd give him a six. I'd agree. Um, a bit shy, wasn't he? Yeah. I I mean, despite the Saka and Smith Rowe song, which actually sort of has probably bolstered their ratings to a six. Perhaps, yeah. Um, I, I thought, again, wasn't involved much. Not much of a final ball. Although he did make that excellent drive through the middle of the pitch to win yes, the free the, kick. Yes, that won the free kick, yeah. And there were a couple of instances of that, but again, sort of final ball was lacking. I agree. Moving on to Nicola Pepe. I'll give him a seven, actually. I thought there were there were examples of his brilliant feet um, and being able to drive. And I thought, actually, he tracked back really, really well. So did I. He really helped on me. I still have a right yeah. back. Um, sort of blocked quite a few crosses and made sure that... McNeil and Taylor weren't able to get that sort of overlap to put the crosses yeah. in. Um, which I think, you know, for a sort of flary winger is something that's quite a feat. And for the job description on the day, it was mm. really good. Yeah. I think just with Pepe and product and efficiency and decision making, if you can raise that one level, then we've really got a player. Yeah. He needs to start clicking now, to be honest. Abamian? Abamian. Again, I'd give him a six. Um, I'd agree. I think that might even be a little bit too nice. Maybe, yeah. Five and a half for me. He wasn't He wasn't involved too much, and when he did get involved, there were some poor passes and poor decision-making. So, Great movement, as always. Yeah, really good movement. But again, yeah, just not good enough on the ball for me. Quickly, mate, let's just do the subs. Albert Sambi Lakonga. Give him an eight. I thought he came on, he calmed the game down um, and made our midfield a little bit. More solid. Ainsley? Give him a seven. Um, couple of instances where he made a poor pass, but he made a really, really good tackle right in Fun front of the tackle. Yeah, really. just sort yeah. of crunched him, which I really enjoyed, so I'll give him a seven. And Nuno Tavares? Good pronunciation. Come on. Uh, and Nuno, I, I'd give him a six. I thought... He he has really, really good qualities, um, but I think he's still a bit raw. Um, 100%. And there isn't that much in terms of uh, sort of decision-making. Yeah, I'd agree. And the manager, Mikel? I'd give him a 7. I was going to give him a 7.5, just to build on from the Norwich game. Yeah. Hoping that these two matches are like a double-hinged turning point for our season yeah I think this one felt like much more of a turning point than the Norwich game especially considering the place you have to go to to get yeah, three points exactly. okay so it is time for the second instalment of our weekly quiz and I'm setting it for Harry this time currently Lowell's 
ahead with a 2-1 lead. Yeah. So, right. So, question number one. Before Martin Odegaard, who was the last Arsenal player to score from a direct free kick? Blimey. I'm thinking to myself it's a Bamiyan against Aston Villa but surely somebody's scored a free kick since do you want a clue if you're willing to give me a clue that'd be nice okay it was it was last season last season yeah I got it you shouldn't give me the clue mate you've cost yourself a point that's alright um okay this one's a little bit hard but I thought was um was actually quite surprising Okay. So, how many appearances has the returning Thomas Partey made for Arsenal? And I'll give you it to the nearest five. In his whole Arsenal career? Yeah. How many appearances? So, he was injured for a big chunk. Probably was back for... We're including all competitions here. Yeah. I'm going to go... Okay. Cool. Okay, and the last one. I'd like you to name all ten goal scorers from the two five twos against they who shall not be named. Against those spots down the road. Yep. Oh, ten goal scorers. From ten goal five twos. Yeah. From Arsenal's side. Right? Yeah. Okay. So name the five from the first five two, and then five from the second. And it five has two. to be in those two orders. No, no, it doesn't okay. have to be in those two orders. Uh, and obviously there were. A couple that scored multiple, so. So, they're not, are there actually 10 goals? No, there aren't 10. Okay. There are 8. I've stitched you a bit with the questions here, I'm not gonna lie. The last two haven't been the easiest. No. But I'm going through it methodically. I think I can get this. Talk us through your thinking process here, Harry. I'm just hoping I'm remembering the right, the right games. I mean, <laughs> that's your thing. If that's your thinking process, I think you might be in trouble. Not looking too bright. <laughs> You're just hoping. I mean, you I can know that Van Persie scored a beautiful goal. Yeah, Spurs in one of them. But was that a five-two? Yes, it was a five-two. Right. Okay. I need two more. <laughs> this is not looking great. Right. Oh, oh, hold on a second. You should really be getting this, to be honest. You think? Yeah come from a lad too. Did you attend these matches? I attended one of them. Okay. I was a bit young and the first Spurs game that I went to, we were 2-0 up at half-time and we lost 3-2 and I saw a fight on the way home and I vowed that I wouldn't go to a Spurs game again. But obviously that has not been the case. Absolutely. Right. Are you locked I'm in? I'm locked in my answers. Okay, so... Last direct free kick scorer was William, a home yes. match from Rich Albion. One point to Harold makes it two two. Um, how many appearances has Thomas Partey made for Arsenal? To the nearest five. Number here. I've gone for thirty-two. He's made nineteen. Nineteen. Nineteen appearances That's in all competitions. No. Are you sure you got that correct? Yeah. Wow. He's had a lot of injuries, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, okay, and all. 10 goal scorers but there are actually 8 from 2-5-2s so my logic here was basically to go anybody that I remember scoring, scoring against Spurs whether it was necessarily in those matches okay. or not alright in a time period of about 6 or 7 years ago okay so I've gone for Van Persie 1 Bakary Sanger 2 Riziki 3 Giroud 4 Walcott 
Five. Murtasaka. Six. Kieran Gibbs. No. No. Oh, I've spoiled it oh. right to the death. And my last one was going to be Santi Cazola. I've got seven out of eight. Oh, that is gutting. I'm afraid that's not good enough for the point. Only the highest standards round here. Kieran Gibbs. I do remember the goal you're talking about, though. Mesut Ozil's just absolutely done a beautiful little chip. He scored to make it one all. Yeah. And the game finished one all. It's a different game, isn't it? It's a whole different game. So go and put me out of my misery. Who's the eighth? The eighth was Lucas Podolski. Oh, what a man. In the second five, too. Right, so... Oh, I'm absolutely gutted. It is now... So you got one point, it's I got four two. two. To you. So it's 4-2. Okay. You you might have to step up the difficulty next week. Yeah, course. I think there was a definitely a distinction between our, yeah. our questions in terms of difficulty. Okay, so before we wrap up today, uh, we thought we'd go through some of the, this weekend's Premier League action. Continue with our weekly Premier League round. Yeah, so... I mean, in terms of... So, the 12.30 game that we watched on the way up to Burnley was Wolves-Brentford. It was, yes. Quite a a shock result there. It was. I think Wolves started on the front foot. They got really exciting talents in Trinquao and Adama Traore. Yeah. But slowly, slowly, Brentford grew into it. And their strike duo just bullied Wolves' defence. And I uh, I think Wolves have become this year's expected goals merchants as opposed Taking to the Brighton. From Brighton yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a bit weird in in terms of the three o'clock games I mean Liverpool a comfortable victory over Palace despite Sadio. some actually quite good performances from Palace Sadio Mane oh yeah making the history yeah. nine games in a row against one team scoring yeah um, what else happened in the three o'clock games so Man City drew at home Southampton nil yeah. nil which could be quite a pivotal moment in the title race. I know it's early on, but they actually have Chelsea and Liverpool back-to-back away. Yeah. So the two hardest games of the season. And if they lose both, yeah, they, they, they could really be a gap between them. I think they need to get four points. They need to get at least four points out of those two. There was quite a funny uh, moment while the VAR drama was going on at, um, at City. I got a um, got a text from my dad saying... Penalty to Southampton, Walker red. Oh, he's going to overturn it all. No pen, no red. And I reckon that was probably the height of the drama of that game. Well, and Raheem Sterling scoring an offside oh, yes. winner yeah. by a toenail or whatever it was yeah. at the end of the match. Um, and then we had the 5.30 game. Which was Aston Villa-Everton. Yeah, Aston Villa. Compl- Everton who hadn't lost the game so far this season. Exactly, yeah. And um, Aston Villa just completely blowing them away in Absolutely nine minutes. Absolutely didn't they? Yeah. Leon Bailey looked brilliant. I mean, he's come off the bench, scored a, scored a stunner. Yeah. Got a little injury, been subbed back off, still got himself out of the match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a perfect home debut for him. Um, then moving on to Sunday's action. Brighton, I mean. Yeah, God, they're flying. They are flying. Well, essentially, they're playing exactly the same way they played last year. Yeah. But actually scoring, scoring the goals yeah. they weren't scoring last year. Yeah, and I think it's quite a... It'll be quite a big game, actually. Uh, we're we're going there in a couple of weeks. Time. We are, yeah. Um, so I think that'll be quite a lot tougher than it looks on paper. Um, there was also there were a couple sort of VAR decisions in that game that I didn't agree with as well. I thought Adidi's yeah. goal was just was fine. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's the way it crumbles. That and game finished. Moving on to West Ham, Man United, which oh. sent my 
stress levels through the roof, by the way, because United keep on grinding out three points from performances which don't necessarily deserve three points. They did have more of the ball, but West Ham had great chances which they squandered. There was one where I think Fornals or Ben Ramas nabbed the ball off Harry Maguire by yeah. byline and cut it back for Bowen and Varane yeah. makes an unbelievable block. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, we said this during the Euros as well. Bringing a player on to take a penalty. Oh, I was sitting there. Is never a good idea. In front of the TV, saying it's absolutely a miss. And I thought, am I being a bit pessimistic here? No, it's absolutely going to miss it's it. Never. You a don't good bring idea. on a player that hasn't kicked a ball all afternoon. Exactly. To take one kick. He didn't warm at the end up. Of the game. I mean, Jose Mourinho said this just before the penalties were. Um, being taken in the Euro final he said it's really hard to bring players on for penalties and I think we saw that both in the Euro final and yesterday um, but quite poetic that Lingard was Absolutely. the winner I'm, I'm sort of quietly quite pleased for him I quite like Lingard even though he yeah. nearly rocked to the Emirates which was yeah, that was annoying. but after his openness with his mental health issues etc mm. I've quite enjoyed his rebirth at West Ham last yeah. season it's a shame that he scored, but... Um, and then the later game, Chelsea versus the Spuds. Um, Spurs started brightly. They did, they started brightly. Interesting pressing tactics from Nuno. Really strange to see Kane on the left and Son down the middle. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I thought well, we started brightly against Chelsea as well. <laughs> yeah, it, we was, did. it doesn't mean much, does it? It was, a, it was a sort of five-minute period where they had a couple of chances and then... Rest of the rest of the half just petered out. Um, couple of opportunities for Chelsea that went missing, but then the Mount and Lukaku interchange towards the end of the first yeah. half was a big opportunity. But then a genius half-time switch, tactical switch from a three-four-three to a three-five-two. Yeah, bringing Kante on just to basically prevent the press through the middle of the pitch yeah. that Spurs had in the first half, and they just came out and battered. They ran all over them, didn't they? And I don't. I think you know. That sort of perform the last two weeks of performances from Spurs have really given me confidence for next weekend. Well, when we're going into our North London derby, being able to go level on points with them, yeah, I was saying to you on the journey that that's possible, and would it be the most Spursy thing ever to be top of the league at one international break, yeah, and possibly win no more games between yeah. that international break and the next one? And the next, yeah, um, but yeah, I think I mean as much as we made not be any good we've looked alright in our last two games and I think Spurs have really come undone and I they think have. there's there's a team to take advantage of there absolutely there's a sense of hope that we could batter them and really then create something special for the rest of the and season kick to kick on. on with yeah Right, so that'll be it for today's episode. I think we've made this one a little bit shorter than the bumper first episode. But there will be two games in between uh, this podcast and our next. One at home to Wimbledon, which we hope to win quite comfortably. And then the big one. Then the big one. Um, and we will be back for, hopefully, a happy episode next Monday. I'm not sure I can bring myself to terms of doing another episode if we don't win on Sunday. Oh, God. It, it will be, be depressing. It will be depressing. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to win. Okay. On that note, we'll see you next week.